Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. If we had hope in this life only, we would be of all men most miserable. Amen. You know, you say, well, that's kind of a weird thing to say. You know, it's, isn't the Christian life the best life to live? Sure it is, but the Christian life is all about one day finally getting to see our Savior. Amen? And when it comes right down to it, that is the blessed hope. The blessed hope is that one day we will finally be reunited with Him who died for us. That one that we believe in. That one we pray to. That one who we talk about, how He is that comfort. He's that peace. He's that joy. There is a day coming when we will be with Him And we will be like Him. Amen? And that is just the blessed hope of the Christian life is knowing that this ain't it. This is just one stepping stone on the path to eternity. That when we're on that other side, that this side, it will look like such a small portion. Amen? Such a a small part. Right now, it feels big, doesn't it? Amen? Doesn't it feel big while we're here? Brooke and I were talking the other day about how when we were children... You know, your parents talk about how much quicker time passes when you get older. Amen. That's true. We were talking about Christmas time and how when you were young, it seemed like like there were just just years between Christmases. Whereas now, it's like, boom, it's Christmas again. You know, what are we going to do? Of course, when when you're doling out the cash, amen, it comes up on you quick. That's just the way it is. You know, when we're young, time seems so drawn out. And the older you get, the shorter that gets. But all of this will seem like just an instant in the grand scope of eternity when we are like Him and we are with Him and the sorrows of this life, they'll be gone, the pains. Amen. I woke up this morning with a pain in my back thinking, man, you know, I'm going to be 36 here in a few days and I'm already just getting old and decrepit in my back. All that's going to be gone. Amen. All the, all the sorrow of loss, gone. All the worrying about this and worrying about that, all that's going to be gone. There's a day coming ahead for us when we will be him with the one who died for us, and we will be like him. Glorified body. Amen. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to not having to worry anymore about temptation. Amen. You ever get burdened bet down with temptation? Just think, God, I'm sick of dealing with this old flesh. It's always trying to drag me in the wrong direction and, and sin in our minds, you know, and you do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing. There's a day coming when that'll all be gone. Amen. That is a blessed hope. I'm looking forward to it. Amen. I hope that you know this morning beyond any doubt that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. There is no joy in a life, no true joy in a life that does not know that. It does not know that no matter what happens here today and in this life, that tomorrow there is a better tomorrow. Amen? That the best days of my life are yet to come. There's nothing like 
that knowledge in the heart of a Christian. John chapter 3 this morning, we've been looking in John chapter 3 for a little while. We're going to go back this morning. Last week, we went to John chapter 3 verse 16, and the Lord spoke to us. Amen? John 3, 16, such a powerful verse. Such an incredible verse. And I'm certain this morning just about everyone here could quote it with your eyes closed, spinning around in a circle. But if you couldn't, and you don't know John 3, 16, let me encourage you, memorize it. It is, it, is the, it, is, it is the linchpin of Christianity. The knowledge that Jesus Christ, according to the will of His Father, came to earth as God our Father so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If that was the only verse in the Bible that you ever heard or ever knew or ever read, it'd be enough to get you to salvation. Knowing that the Son of God came to this world, and He died for this sole purpose, that you could be saved. Amen. That was the great plan of God. That was the great plan of God that was fulfilled on the cross. That was the great plan of God that was fulfilled in the tomb. And on that day when He resurrected, and then those days later when He ascended into heaven, the complete, finished work of the gospel has the power to save you today. There's no greater knowledge in existence. There's no greater understanding in all the world and in all the Bible than John chapter 3 and verse 16. As we read John 3, 16, a lot of time we'll, we'll find people just stop right there. But if you keep going, there's some more truth to be, to be imparted here in John chapter 3 in this passage down through verse number 21. Today I'd intended uh, to take you from verse 17 down to verse 21, but I don't think we're going to make it that far uh, today. We're going to look at a couple things. We've looked here through these verses, uh, starting in verse number 1. We've learned about a lot of different things. We've looked through the chapter. We've seen how that uh, there's a difference between spiritual things and fleshly things. We've learned about how that uh, it was the plan of God to lift up His Son before all men like that brass serpent in the book of Numbers. We've learned how that the love of the Father was proven and personified in the giving of His only begotten Son. And as we look at these verses, and really this, the first half of John chapter 3 as a whole, uh, or the first really kind of like two-thirds down through verse 21, we, we see that the Lord Jesus uh, is really teaching Nicodemus and us about the dichotomy of life, how that in life there are often a right, there is often a right and a wrong. There is a good and an evil. Now, not every matter of life is black and white, right and wrong, yes and no. But the most important matters in life are. Amen. God is not silent or unclear on anything that is important. Amen. And when it comes to the book of John chapter 3, the Lord is talking to Nicodemus, and He is speaking to him about how that in life there are two sides to so many things. In verses 1 through verse 8, we see there are two childbirths. The birth of the water and the birth of the Spirit, Right? that you are born to the flesh, and that is one side of life. But then if you want to reach the kingdom of God, you want to reach heaven, if you want to know God and have God living in you, you must be born again, which is the birth of the Spirit, right? There is a, a dead, lifeless flesh, and there is a living, eternal Spirit. And that we are born, all of us, to the flesh, but if you want to see heaven, there is a birth of the Spirit, and there is no coming to God without that birth of the Spirit, right? 
Then we see there are two choices in verses 4 down through verse number 18, which is the choice of eternal life through belief or perishing through unbelief. Y'all see that? Uh, we go down through, I mean, you can look just in John 3, 16, and you see it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him will have everlasting life. But whosoever believeth not shall perish. Do you see that? The only way to not perish is to believe. Amen. In the last part, we see there's two categories of man in verses 19 down through verse number 21. How that there are those who hate the light and there are those who cherish the light. There is two sides to every coin in John chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 21. And today I want to look at that second one, that that is that coin of choice. Amen. I believe the Lord is trying to remove the middle ground on these things. Can I tell you, the world wants only to operate in the middle ground. The world's perfectly fine with you having religion. But they're not fine with you being a child of God and a servant of Christ. You want to pray, that's fine. Pray in the name of God so that no one will get offended. Sit right in the middle, but don't ever take a side. Right? Here's the problem. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. That's what He said uh, there in the book of Matthew chapter 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That in, in the important matters of life, Jesus says this. You've got to choose. You've got to choose. So this morning, I, I want to talk about this thought here in these verses, John chapter 3, this, that salvation is a choice. It's a choice. Now, I will admit, sometimes I think people have made a little bit too big of a deal of that word choice. It's not about choosing... It's about believing. But you have to choose whether or not to believe. Amen? There are some who would have you believe that everyone who is saved was saved before they were born. That God chose you. And that God preordained you to salvation. And that your moment of salvation only comes when you realize that you are saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is this, that every person on earth has a choice. Whosoever, John 3.16 said, that means every human on earth has a choice. And that choice is very simply this, to believe or not to believe. First, we're, we're going we're gonna to look today, we're looking at the two choices of humanity. First, I want you to see the function of Christ's coming in verse number 16 and verse number 17. Let's read these together. Keep your Bible there to John chapter 3. If you've got your Bible with you, open it. Look with me here, these letters in red. In John chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17, the Bible says this, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now, if you look there in that verse uh, number 17, it said, God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. That word sent, it comes from the Greek word uh, apostello, which is the, way, the same word we get the word apostle from. That those apostles are those who were sent by the Lord in the forming of the church. And that's why they're called apostles. And Jesus, in that sense, 
was sent in the same way as a messenger for God to fulfill the will of the sender, right? That's what the role of Jesus is in John 3.16. The one who is committing the act, the one who is, whose will is being performed in John 3.16 is not the Son, but the Father. For God, that is the Father, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The role of the Son is to be sent. And Jesus said this, He said, God did not send me to condemn the world. That is not why He came. It carries with it the idea of someone being sent forth as a messenger. John Phillips said it like this. He said, it suggests the thought of a definite mission and also a representative of character in the envoy. Jesus, the ambassador from heaven, sent into this world, was no ordinary representative of God's throne. It takes all four Gospels, not to mention all 21 epistles, to reveal what a perfect representative He was. I say amen. He was not just a messenger. He was the perfect representation of His Master, His Father, who sent Him. Because He was Him. Amen. But the question must arise, if He has come down, why was He sent? Now, we know John 3.16, He was sent because God loved the world. Amen? And He wanted to save the world. But there needed to be a little bit more clarification to that in John 3.17. And so first we see the function of Christ's coming. First we see what it is not in verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. Now there are a lot of people in this world who look at Christ as a force of condemnation. That's what they see Him to be. Don't judge me. Y'all hear that? You ever heard that? When they're saying that, here's what they're saying. The only thing Jesus is, is condemnation. Oh, I don't want to be a Christian because if I'm a Christian, everybody will expect me to quit drinking. Everybody will expect me to quit partying. Everybody will expect me to quit doing this and quit doing that. And the only thing they can think about and see when they look at Jesus is they see condemnation. They think that Jesus is a force of condemnation. They think that because they do not know Him. If they knew Him, they would know that's not why He came at all. That's not what He was here for then. That's not what He's doing now. Jesus did not come the first time as a righteous judge. He came as a holy sacrifice. He came to love us, to reach us as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That is what John the Baptist proclaimed Him to be because that is what He was. And that's what He is right now. He is our propitiation. He is our sacrifice. He is the one who came. He did not come to condemn us. That's not why He came. Jesus said, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why He came. He did not come to condemn us even though it would have been, let me say this, even though it would have been just for Him to do so. Could Jesus have come and condemned us and been right? Yes. Because we were wrong. You know who deserves condemnation? Those who have done something worthy of condemnation. Condemnation is essentially the passing down of a verdict of guilt. Judgment can go toward guilty or innocent. But condemnation is the affirmation of guilt. Amen? It is saying you are guilty and now you will be sentenced. That is what it means to condemn. To condemn is to say it is wrong, it is bad, it is evil. Jesus did not come for that. The Bible tells us that the law was here for that, to teach us that we were sinners. But Jesus did not come for that. Stay with me. I know I'm, I'm saying a lot of stuff. With me. I, I'm going somewhere. I want you to follow me. He proved this in John chapter 8. 
John chapter 8 and verse number 10, we have the account of how the Lord was there. And you've read the story, you've heard the preaching about it, how that He was there. And, and those, those, uh, those wicked Jewish people brought forth a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I believe she was probably undressed in a bad way. It says she was caught in the act, and they drug her out before the Lord. Amen? Here she is, and you all know the famous words of the Lord Jesus. He that is without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. Right? And then one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they drop their stones and they leave. And when they do in verse number 10, the Lord Jesus uh, lifted up, because he, he was squatting down and riding in the sand there, riding in the dirt. He lifted up himself and he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? You see that word accusers? All those people who had dragged her out in the street, they were accusing her of something. They were accusing her of a sin that was worthy of death. And by the way, she was guilty. But they were her accusers. And he said this, Hath no man condemned thee? And the answer to that question is no. No one condemned her because when the Lord laid out the requirements for being able to condemn someone, none of them fit the requirements. It's like he said, okay, but if anybody is going to be the condemner, if anybody's going to be the, the righteous judge, you need to have this, 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 and checked off. And the one thing that was checked off, that needed to be checked off was this, whoever's without sin. If you're going to be the judge and the condemner, then you need to be without sin. And what they all found out was uh, nobody fit that bill. Right? And so they could not be called condemners. They were accusers. They were the one pointing their finger. That's what they're doing, accusing her of something that was sinful. And Jesus said this, if you've got sin, you've got no right to condemn her. And she said, he said, where are thine accusers? No man condemned thee. And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Do you know why Jesus did not condemn her? Because God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. Let me clarify something. It was not because she did not deserve condemnation. She was an adulteress. And according to the law, someone caught in the act of adultery was worthy of death. Y'all see that? Jesus is the Son of God. If anybody's got the right to condemn her, it's Him. There was one requirement He laid out to those people. He that is without sin. And guess what? There was one there who fit that bill. But He did not condemn her. Why? Because God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. The one man in the group who was without sin said, Neither do I condemn thee. And he is the only one who could have. And then he said this, go and sin no more. He chose not to condemn her because it was not his function to condemn the world. Y'all see that? He's proving it right here in action. This is the one thing that curdled the Jews so much. When people said he was the Messiah, it it angered them. Because what they wanted from the Messiah is they wanted a man to come down out of heaven, the chosen of God, set up a throne, put Israel on the top, and destroy all their enemies. That will happen one day. That's His kingdom. One day He will sit on the throne of the world 
as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when he came to this earth 2,000 years ago, he did not come as the lion king. He came as the suffering lamb. Why? Because they didn't need a king. They needed someone who would not condemn them, but who would save them from their sins. That's what they needed. That, hey, by the way, that's what you needed. That's what I needed. Don't lay down on me this morning. Let's all just admit, we're the adulterous woman. In the story, that's who we are. We're the wicked, we're the ungodly, we're the failure. We're the one that if somebody knew everything there was, if somebody walked in on us at the wrong moment in our life, could they have called us in a sin worthy of death? If somebody could see the thoughts and intents of our heart, would they hear something? Did you know that in the law, you could be put to death for cursing your father or your mother? Are you worthy of condemnation? Let me answer that for you. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. And when Jesus came, and He's around Him, and He's looking all around all these people, you know what He sees? You can read about it over and over in the, in the Gospels. He knew the thoughts and intents of their heart. I can't imagine what it was like to be Him and to hear what's going through the hearts of everybody, including His closest friends, and not condemn them. But that wasn't His function. The function of Christ's coming was not to condemn. But what was it then? It is, it is that the world through Him might be saved. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, He said this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is a clear definition of His function. Why did Jesus come? In, why did Jesus come and be born in a manger? Why did He do those things? He's sitting there, and John and James, two of His closest friends, come up to Him, and they start asking Him, Hey, Jesus, when, we, when, when You set up Your kingdom, can, 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 can I sit on the left hand and James on the right hand? Or can one of us sit on one side of You and the other? Here's Jesus thinking, really? You're wanting to know who's going to be at the top? Well, I'm going to tell you that the lowest will be the highest, and the highest will be the lowest. That's what He told them. They said, who's going to be the greatest in His kingdom? In kingdom? He said, none of you. Amen. They were even His closest friends, the ones He taught and what was most spiritual. Here they are, and they're, they're being lifted up in pride. John the Beloved asking to sit at His right hand in His kingdom. I want to make sure I secure my seat. I want the best seat in the house. Well, you know what? That's not your function. And that's not what this is. And here's Jesus, and He's hearing all this, and even the best among them, Peter, one of His closest friends there, who, who was there with Him on the Mount of Transfiguration, cursing, denying Him as they're persecuting and about to kill Him. Jesus, don't condemn them. Thomas, doubting. Here comes Jesus. There's Thomas who said, I will not believe. I will not believe. Jesus walks up. Here I am. Come, touch, feel. He didn't condemn him. Why? Because that's not his function. What is it? To find those that are lost and save them. This morning, can I ask you a simple question? Do you remember when you were lost? You can nod your head if you do. Do you remember when you were lost? Do you remember when the Holy Spirit came to where you were and revealed to you that if you died the way that you were right then in that moment, that you would not go to heaven? Do you remember that moment? 
Me and Brother Travis were talking not too long ago. He's giving me, telling me about his testimony, how he was like, what, what late, late teens, early 20s, something like that, right in the adultish age, when he finally, he, he just got overwhelmed with that understanding. I've got to be saved. I am lost. You know what that is? Jesus seeking. That's what he's doing. He's looking for those who are lost. Why? Because he wants to save them. That's why I said he would leave the 90 and 9 to find the one lost sheep because that is his function. That is why he came, to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why he came. He came to save you. That's his whole function, to find those of us who have not been saved and to save them. From that moment of his birth till now, that has been his whole function. Every step he took, the defeat of Satan in the wilderness, every time he taught there in, 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 in the place of the Jews, and, and every time he went to the synagogues, every time he spoke, everything he said was toward the function of bringing humans back to God. That's his whole function, to save, not to condemn. That's his function. It is not to condemn. It is to save, to, to teach Every soul that would turn to Him in faith and repentance that they can have everlasting life. That is the function of Christ's coming. I want you to see the finality of a person's choice though in verse 18. Verse 18 says this, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Stay with me here, I want you to hear this. We see the actual simplicity of condemnation. When the world looks at Jesus, they see a figure who is condemning and judging them, but that's not who He is at all. He is the humble Lamb who opened not His mouth, who took every stripe of the beating and every nail holding Him to that cross for you. That's who He is. But His very existence causes condemnation. He did not come to condemn us. His desire is to draw us to Him and save Him, save us. But here's what verse 18 says. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. We're not condemned. We have no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that believe. None. We cannot be condemned. Heaven is our future home. If we've been saved through belief, through faith and grace, we are now a part of the family of God, and we are predestined to a home in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have been saved and you have believed, you have nothing to fear from condemnation. But he that believeth not is condemned already. It does not mean that Jesus is condemning them. Here's what it means. They have accepted condemnation unto themselves through their unbelief, it is just a fact of life. What does that mean? John Phillips said it like this. He said, although it is true that Christ's mission the first time was not of condemnation, the manifestation of Christ was both a process of judgment and a sense of judgment on those who reject Him. The purpose of His coming was to offer peace, love, joy, and the goodness and glory of God's grace. But to those who spurned all that, the product of His coming was inevitably judgment. Listen to this. This is not the judgment of an arbitrary sentence, 
but the inevitable working out in the life of the Christ-rejecting individual of an absolute law. What does that mean? Think about it like this. Suppose there was a man who had a terminal disease. That means he got the call, he has a disease, and he will die from this disease. However, there's a solution. Take these pills once a day for seven days. At the end of the seven days, the disease will be gone and you will not die. Now those are, those are factual things, right? This is exactly your sickness. This is exactly the healing for your sickness. If you take these pills, you will not die. But that man, upon hearing that, decides to outright reject what he's been told. He does not believe it. It is true, but he does not believe it. So, he does not take the medicine. Therefore, by refusing to take the medicine that he is told will save his life, and he then dies, he has condemned himself to death. You understand? He has chosen death. And he has rejected life. That is the truth of John 3.16. The most blessed and wonderful verse in all the Bible, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's what He's saying. All you've got to do to live forever is believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a free gift. It doesn't cost you a thing. Nothing. All you've got to do is say, I have this disease, sin. It's terminal. Y'all do know that sin is terminal, right? The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, period. Sin in your body is what makes it corrupt. It's what makes it get old and, and fall apart. Just, you know, things stop working right. It's all because of sin in us. It's corruptive. That's what it does. We're all going to die because of our sin. It's appointed a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Without the rapture, every one of us will eventually reach that point in life where our bodies will just give out because of sin. The wage of sin is death. But death can stop with the sleep of this body. And we can then live on to eternal life. How? All you got to do is take your medicine. And what is that? Belief. Repent and believe. It's what John the Baptist preached. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Turn away from the death and accept the free gift of life. That's as simple as it is. That is the simplicity, the absolute, absolute simplicity, the actual simplicity of condemnation is this. It's all about belief. It's just like the Lord said there to that woman that, of Samaria, as He was telling her about that, that life that would give her everlasting life, and He said, believest thou this? That's it. All you've got to do, the simplicity of condemnation, the only thing you've got to do to, to overcome it, to escape it, is believe. But if you refuse to believe, you condemn yourself to death, and after this, the judgment. That is an assertive statement that we're getting in John chapter 3 and verse number 18. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. When it says condemned already, it means you are living in a state of condemnation. Why? Because you are a sinner. 
You are the adulterous woman. You are the liar. You are the drunkard. You are the murderer. You say, I've never murdered anybody. Well, John said if you hated your brother in your heart, you're a murderer. Jesus, I've never committed adultery. Jesus said if you ever desired a woman that wasn't your wife, you're an adulterer. You ever told one lie? You say, how many, how many murders does it take to become a murderer? One. How many lies does it take to become a liar? There'll be no liars in heaven, the Bible says. Every liar, every murderer, every adulterer, every fornicator, every, every drunkard, you can read it. Rioter, the Bible says. The striker and the fighter, none of them will be in heaven. So well, what do I do? Accept the free gift of salvation. Because if you accept that, what you once were, you are no longer. You went from being a drunkard, a murderer, a sinner, to being a son of God, a child of God. Amen. The assertive statement of condemnation is this. If you refuse to believe, you accept condemnation. You're being given a free gift. How many are doing that every day? Uh, yeah, I, I know I, I need to go to church. I, I know I need to get saved. and I know I ought to believe in Jesus. You know, Someday I, I'd like to do it, but right now I've just got a lot of things I want to do. You're accepting condemnation. You're living condemned. And at any moment, you'd be like that rich man. Go to sleep, running well, overflowing with goods, and lift up your eyes in torment. Amen? You know why? Because that rich man was living in condemnation. He was condemned already. People think of it like this. Well, if I, Jesus wants to condemn me. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't condemn you. You condemned yourself. You are living condemned. Every moment of your life that you live without salvation, you live as a condemned sinner. You are condemned already because you have not believed. But if you would just believe, get over yourself, get over your fear, get over your reluctance, get over your desire to sin, and just believe. If you do that, you pass, the Bible says, from death into life. From condemnation to forgiveness. That there is now therefore no condemnation. Right? That is the assertive statement of condemnation in the awful sense of condemnation is this. Hebrews 9.27 is it is appointed a man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. Jesus said this in Matthew 10.28, Fear not them which kill the body, but are able to kill the soul, uh, uh, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So why would God put anyone in hell? That's the question we often hear, right? We hear it on TV. You hear it from the mouth of, a, of an, an unbeliever. You hear it from the mouth of a doubter. What, what kind of a God would put people whom He supposedly loves in hell? Here's the truth. God has created hell, which is the manifestation of His wrath for the devil and his angels. It's a place of torment. It is for sin. Sin, death, hell will all one day die a second death in the lake of fire. It is the manifest wrath of God 
on sin. God condemns sin to hell. You know who has sin? Every single living soul who refuses to believe has sin. So, what about Christians? Well, we, we sin, we fail, but our sins are forgiven. And there is one living inside of us. You know what that is? That's that new birth. Are you all still with me? Am I boring you this morning? That new birth. The Bible says there's a new creature. That new creature that lives in me, that new person that's birthed by the Holy Spirit, cannot sin. Amen. That new, that new being inside of me has no sin. It's sinless. And that is the part of me that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And one day when I die, I will lay down this sinful flesh that is weak, and that spirit will live forever in Christ. Because that is now the real me. The part of me that is in Christ, and Christ is in me. But if I do not have that, I am altogether in sin. One day, sin will be condemned finally in the lake of fire eternally. There is an awful sentence of condemnation. And that condemnation is predisposed for every soul unless they believe in rejecting Christ and refusing to believe, we condemn ourselves. He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The name of the only begotten Son of God is the only thing that can save you. Church attendance won't save you. Church membership won't save you. Putting money in the offering plate won't save you. Giving all your goods to the poor, selling everything you've got won't save you. There is only one thing that will save you. That is putting your belief, your faith in the name of the only begotten Son of God. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Hell is a real place. Jesus described it. He said, if your eye offends you, plug it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. Because it's better to enter into, into heaven, into eternity, maimed or blinded, than to go with all your body into hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Sin sends you to hell. Period. There's a lot of preachers, a lot of Christians who've tried to turn hell into a state of mind. It's not. It is a literal place that is the manifestation of the wrath of God against sin. And when we adore sin and we reject Christ, we condemn ourselves to hell. Are you listening to me? It's not a game. It's not playing around. It's not, well, I'll be fine. It's not, well, I'm a good person. Well, when I get to heaven one day, hopefully when I reach in before God in judgment, the good idea will outweigh the bad. That won't save you. The only thing that will, the choice, the choice, I've told you, we're talking about the two choices of humanity. The choice is this. Believe or don't believe. 
Isn't that the choice? He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. Isn't that the choice? Believe or not believe. Believe or not believe. This is the finality of a person's choice. I don't have time to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to mention this and we'll close. I want to show you the failure of people's character. Because right now, I guarantee you, there's at least one who has never truly believed. Maybe it's a child who's just coming to the understanding of what that is. Or maybe it's one of us who are older. Maybe you made a profession of faith when you were younger, and you're just holding on to that even though you know it wasn't real, and you've never truly put your faith in Christ. Whatever it may be, I want you to see the failure of people's character because verse number 19 tells us why. This is the condemnation. This is the condemnation. See it in verse 19, John 3, 19. This is the condemnation. What? That light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. People don't go to hell because they're afraid to come to the altar. They go to hell because they reject Christ and they hold on to their sin. You know what the refusal to go to the altar is based on? Pride. Amen. That's what it's based on. So it doesn't feel like that. It feels like fear. Fear is usually based on pride. Fear that someone will think something about you you don't want them to think. Fear that someone will see you when you don't want them to see you. That's pride. That's putting yourself over everything else. Putting what you want over what God wants. Right? Because what does God want? It's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you're willing to condemn your own soul to hell because of what you want and don't want. That's pride. That's what it is. It's sin that condemns us, and you would condemn your own soul. Listen, would you condemn your own soul to hell because you don't want to go to the altar? What a foolish reason to go to hell. You know why, Brother Tim, you know why people would do that? Because they don't believe it. Amen? They don't believe it. And guess what condemns you? Unbelief. You just don't believe it. What I'm trying to do this morning, what I'm trying to get you to see is something very simple. There is a God in heaven. He has a Son named Jesus Christ. His Son came and put on flesh. He descended. He was born of a virgin. He lived 33 years without ever sinning. And then He died a horrific death. Why? So you wouldn't have to. To save you. And you know what He said? All you've got to do to be saved, to go to heaven, to live eternally, and to defeat death and defeat sin is just believe on Me. That's all it takes. Just take the medicine. Believe. Oh, I just don't want to. You have that choice. But you need to understand something. He that believeth is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. And why? What is this condemnation? Why? Because light is coming to the world. You know who light is? John chapter 1 said God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. The first John chapter 1. John chapter 1 said this in verse 4. In Him, that's the Lord Jesus, the Word was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 9 says that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That's the arrival of the light being revealed is this. Light is come into the world. And light is Jesus Christ. He's light. That's what He is. He is illumination. He is 
He is understanding. He is light. He is truth. That's what He is. We see the arrival of the light revealed. We see the acceptance of the light is rejected when He says this, Light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light. That's the condemnation. John 1.5, The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. John 1.10, He was in the world, the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. You know what that is? That is man looking at Christ and saying, I'd rather have darkness. Why don't you want to be saved? Well, if I get saved, I might have to quit doing this. So you'd rather live in darkness than have the light of life. The only people who would say that are the people who've never truly experienced the light of life. Amen. When someone gets gloriously saved, it is not like anything else. It's not. There is no joy like the joy of a Christian who is walking with God and talking with God and has a relationship with God and with the Word of God. And they see the light of the Word of God. And that is Jesus. Those who walk in darkness, they look at it and they go, oh, I don't want that. Why? Because the light shines on their darkness and this, because their deeds were evil. That's the affection for the darkness that's reprehensible. I won't read it to you but for a second time, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 down through 24, Paul breaks down this concept in man. They love unrighteousness and they hate the light. They would go as far as to worship mankind and the creation and animals, anything they can, as long as they don't have to look at the light and worship the true God of heaven. They would rather die. Just something that always baffled me. You go read the book of Revelation, read about those people who are seeing the wrath of God come to pass. There's a group of them who will run into the mountains and cry for the rocks to fall on them. Why? Because they know there's a God and they'd rather die than admit it. Say, wow, how would anybody be that crazy? Go watch the news. Turn on social media. Brother Randy, people laying out, I mean, just their sin before the whole world and and there are men and women all over the world saying, Jesus loves you, Jesus came to save you, and they're saying, I don't want that. If it means I can't have my darkness, I don't want it. That is the wrong choice. One day, Brother Tim, just like the rich man did, they'll look back and they'll say, I was so wrong. If I could go tell my friends... If I could go tell my brethren, don't come to this place. But then it'll be too late. What did he say to the rich man? He said, they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe you either. You know what's happening right now in this place? Right now, there's someone you just don't want to believe. You just don't want to believe. You just don't want to believe because you're so worried about the darkness. You're so worried about those things and you're thinking, but I, I, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to do this. I don't want this to change. Don't worry about that. That does not matter. What matters is life and death, heaven and hell, belief and unbelief. That is the choice that Christ came to lay out before you. And it is such an easy choice. 
It is such an easy choice to, to, to choose heaven over hell. Why would you ever hesitate? That's the dichotomy of man. Every human being on earth has a choice. Light or darkness. Righteousness or sin. Life or death. Heaven or hell. Christ or the world. That choice is right here before you today. Don't slip comfortably off into hell in unbelief. Amen? Don't let the allure of darkness drag you into hell with no concern for your eternal soul. So my mom or my dad don't like that, or, or my friends will make fun of me. Or Get the darkness that is pulling you away from God out of your mind. Put your eyes on Him. Here's Jesus. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's what he said. I'm meek and lowly. That's who he is. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's who he is. You know what he wants to do? Love you. Accept you. Take you into his arms. and Make you into what you are supposed to be. A child of God. That was his desire from the beginning. He loves us. Behold, he standeth at the door and knock. Right? That's him. So, Brother Paul, I know I'm saved. Are you, are you choosing him now? There is a choice to every man, every woman, and every child. Christ or the world. What will you choose? Let's all stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon. And we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.